the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we continue with our three-hour tour into uh, our tour here. I'm her hour hour two of our three-hour tour. I'm Tom Sumner, and we're going to shift gears a little bit. We're going to be talking with a New York State licensed clinical psychologist, but that's not what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about her uh, book, or books, I should say, as uh, book two of a three-part series, Mission from Venus Trilogy, uh, is out. It is called The Wanderers on Earth. It was written by Susan Plunkett, who joins me by phone. Hi, Susan. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. Well, and, and thanks for your perseverance in, in uh, making good. We, we had our wires crossed uh, initially, but we finally connected, and I'm so glad that we have. Um, me too. This, um, did you know when you started this trilogy that it was going to be a trilogy? I did know that because this Australian shaman that I had been working with for about a decade told me uh, it was going to be a trilogy and it was going to be largely channeled mostly probably when I was asleep and that I was to write in the morning. So, I mean, I know that sounds kind of strange to some people, but um, I'd been working with her so long that I just trusted her, and I trusted the beings that were giving her the information because it just felt so right. However, I wasn't really a writer. I've been a psychologist for almost 35 years in private practice in Greenwich Village in New York, and I was like, but I don't know how to write. Um, <laughs> and she said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You made an agreement before you incarnated with a group of beings in the formless realm who have actually never been human. And you're kind of late getting started. Uh, you know, you, you could have done this when you were younger, but okay, you didn't. So the pressure is on now. So... I just, she said, just sit down. And the first book I wrote by hand, but then uh, my daughter said, you've got to, you've got to learn to type and get on the computer. Uh, and this was in 2016, so I did learn to type and get on the computer. And when I sit down, information just comes through me like it's dropped into my head. And other times. Books find their way to me that I'm just supposed to read because it's information that I'm supposed to use 
and put in story form because the beings that the shaman channeled said, you've got to uh, write this in story form because it's easier for people to absorb a story than just a nonfiction book. So that's why the trilogy is a story about wanderers who are incarnate here on Earth from the fifth dimension. And I absolutely believe there are millions of wanderers incarnate on Earth from higher dimensions coming to help us move into the next golden age on Earth, the seventh golden age on Earth. Now, at least for for some portion of the book, if not the entire book, in this uh, new installment, Volume 2 of the Mission from Venus trilogy, which is called The Wanderers on Earth, um, these these wanderers are, uh, from the fifth dimension are spending time in a three-dimensional world. Yes. They have incarnated as... Because the laws governing Earth, and I do believe this to be true, you're not supposed to be coming here as an ET. Uh, There are guardians of our planet, because in the past, in thousands and thousands of years in the past, uh, Susan, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt, but when you say ET, do you mean generically extraterrestrial? Yes, I mean extraterrestrials coming from other planets and other dimensions okay. and other galaxies that's what are i thought but i just wanted to come here but i just wanted to make sure that we weren't you know zeroing in on little green men no we're they're not supposed to be coming here um, because they're not supposed to intervene in earth's affairs because we're supposed to be allowed to evolve back to the light on our own energy you know, on our own will, and interference from other galaxies was not supposed to be allowed in this part of the Milky Way, on our spiral arm of the Milky Way. But, so that's why people who want to, uh, beings, they're not people, beings who want to work and help Earth have to incarnate as human. For example, Tesla Uh, Many people believe that Tesla was a wanderer from the sixth dimension who came to Earth out of love and wanted everyone to have free energy, that electricity should be free for everybody. Um, But he incarnated. Can can you explain um, these other dimensions? You have characters in the book that are coming from the fifth dimension. You refer to Tesla as possibly from the sixth dimension. Um, and, and you also refer to them as higher dimensions. Um, how, how do the, how, what are the dimensions? How many are there and, and how are they ranked? There are the, the only ones I know about are the first seven, but I have an intuition that there are octaves of dimension. So there could be the first seven, then an additional seven, then an ad- I don't know how many because I'm just a human being trying to understand information that I get with my human brain and psyche. So when I'm talking about the first dimension, I'm talking about crystals, rocks, um, all of which 
have consciousness. And the second dimension would be plants, trees, some animals. And the third dimension is humans and some other animals. Fourth dimension, there are many fourth dimensional humans walking around now. These would be humans who are extraordinarily courageous for all humanity, who come from a place of love and generosity. Um, And I believe most humans are moving toward that dimension, the fourth dimension, in their consciousness. The dimensions are consciousness, really, types of consciousness. Like a crystal has one type of consciousness, a plant has another type of consciousness, a tree has consciousness, humans have consciousness, animals, higher dimensional beings have consciousness, and our consciousness can evolve and change. And apparently it is evolving and changing very quickly on Earth now. For most humans who are moving into the fourth dimension, because Earth has now moved into the fourth dimension as a planet. So to be in harmony with our planet, we have to upgrade our consciousness. And I think the ultimate journey is that our consciousness evolves so much that we go back to the oneness, and we are conscious that we are part of the oneness, that we are an individual being, but we are also part of a great and beautiful, loving whole. And you talked about humans um, using their energy to move um, transformationally into higher dimensions. And when you referred to that energy, I I almost thought you were talking about some kind of electricity. But then you said you think of dimensions, um, you suspect that there are octaves of dimensions. And you just mentioned something uh, else that sounded like it was more about vibrations. Um, is, is, is the energy that, that, um, that drives all of reality, is it electric or is it acoustic? It is both. Sound energy is incredibly powerful. Sound, we are made of sound and light, which I believe can create electrical charges. So basically, our nature is formless. Everything, I mean, the formless realm is what everything emerges from. And when we lower our vibration enough, we can take form. Most, the information I've received is that most beings in all universes and galaxies do not take form. They continue as energy, light energy, sound energy, electrical energy. But we on Earth have had the privilege and made the choice and got the opportunity to take a form, to allow our energy to actually take a physical form. And we sustain it actually with sound and light and a type of electricity. I can't be more clear than that because I'm not a physicist, but I think <laughs> a, it's, a, can, it's okay. can probably explain it better than I can. If you were, you'd be way over my head, Susan, so mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fine. Um, but, but I am curious about something you said about uh, 
the the story um, and and the characters coming to you in your sleep, and and it reminded me of a, a friend of mine, a songwriter um, producer who keeps a notebook and and writes down little little phrases of of bits and pieces of lyrics and chord progressions and things as they occur to him and then when he's you know able to spend some time writing he goes through this notebook and finds these little bits and pieces of ideas that he can um, sort of thread together and and create from and he calls it his boneyard and I, and and I got this this picture of of you with something similar, a recording device or a notebook or something, on the nightstand next to your bed, and you would wake up and jot things down, or do you just wake up energized, and and the writing pours out almost as if it's writing itself. Both both those things happen. I do have a notebook, and I do <laughs> jot down things when I wake up with a phrase. Um, but then when I sit down at the laptop, um, I'll be writing along and then suddenly something drops in and corrects a word or a phrase or an idea. And the characters also, uh, some of them are coming from dreams. Some of them are coming from readings that I've had with, uh, intuitives because when you tell story and you use myth, it gives a grandeur to life. Just like in a song, when songs tell a story or speak of a feeling, when you take it to the level of the mythological, the archetypal, you know, mother, father, king, queen, hero, villain, it, it just gives it a poignancy and uh, a depth that people can resonate with because as a psychologist, I understand that archetypes are possessing us all the time we get captured by a complex suddenly we might you know look at road rage i believe road rage is a person getting totally captured by their complex the complex of being not seen or not heard or not counting and that someone else could cut them off and take their take their path and it evokes such rage in some people to be cut off or to be, you know, not felt that they're not seen, and they get gripped, and that that's just one type of complex. But and and, and so the event doesn't happen by itself in a vacuum. It's actually right. the crescendo of something that's been building for a while. Exactly, because we all have our own unique set of complexes, things that bother us. There are people who would never experience road rage because they don't feel unseen there are other people you know who have we all have different complexes many of us have a money complex an inferiority complex susan i need to put a comma there if it's okay with you i have to take a break and uh i want to talk some more can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more okay of course um my guest is uh author and uh psychologist susan Plunkett. The book is The Wanderers on Earth. It's part of a trilogy, and we're going to talk more about it with Susan after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom What are you doing? Oh, you know, just, um, attorney general stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen... We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. And welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation about a uh, trilogy of books called Mission from Venus, um, the second installment of that just uh, recently out or um, maybe just recently out in paperback. In any event, it's called The Wanderers on Earth, written by Dr. Susan Plunkett, who joins me by phone. Susan, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, no, interesting. The Watusi music was great. <laughs> cool. Um, all right, let's, um, let's talk about... Um, about this trilogy, is is there a way you can give me a, sort of a, a synopsis of of what the mission from Venus is and and why Venus yes. and and how does it? Um, Absolutely, I can. Um, well, you know, Venus, the way we perceive Venus from the third dimension, has an atmosphere of sulfuric acid and doesn't look like well, definitely human life couldn't survive there because they went through their version of global warming and destroyed the planet. But Venus, as all planets, is simultaneously existing in higher dimensions. So the first book opens on Venus, Venus in the sixth dimension, where a call has gone out across all the galaxies for volunteers to help planet Earth because it's a special time on Earth. Earth is moving at the start of the book from the third dimension into the fourth dimension. So all kinds of beings gather on Venus for training. And while they're there, they learn that in order to help Earth, they have to actually be born as human babies. They have to put their consciousness in the body, as each of us does, all, all humans, when we're born, I believe we put our consciousness in a human body. It's like a temporary suit of clothes we wear our body while we're here. You know, it's just a rental, these bodies, because we have other bodies simultaneously uh, in other dimensions and other galaxies. So these volunteers come and they train on Venus they, to learn what it's going to be like for them to be human. None of them have ever been human before. And after they train, they are born uh, all around the world, some in Moscow, uh, some in uh, Cairo, New York, Dublin, all Tokyo, uh, India, and they have to grow up as babies. But the thing about coming to Earth is that everyone passes through the veil of forgetting that's why people who want to know about their other simultaneous or what they might consider past lives have to go through past life regression because we all come through the veil of forgetting and we don't remember our other existences, which, because there is no time, are actually simultaneous. So the wanderers have to abide by that too, but they're charged with the task of waking up in the third dimension and remembering that they came on a mission and took this body. So book one is the training. Book two, they can all be read separately. Book two opens when they're 21 and they're on Earth. And they, the other catch is that 
many of them have a twin flame, which is one soul split into two and living existences in two bodies. And they are separated from their twin flames, and they have to reunite, and they have to find other wanderers, and they have to deliver the message to humans that you are actually divine beings of light having an experience as a human, and that your consciousness is incredibly powerful and much bigger than what you think of as your body. And to give this message to humans is really empowering for humans and helps them understand that the most powerful force in the universe is love. And the opposite of love is fear. And that is basically the message they're charged to deliver because the more light and love um, that each human carries, the easier it is for them to vibrate at higher dimensions and understand more about what's happening in the universe. So the second book opens and they're waking up. They've had experiences while they were growing up that seemed weird because they all have kind of superpowers which break through. And also while they were growing up, the dark side, who are the dark lords of Orion, have been trying to kill them because they would like Earth to ascend to the fourth dimension on the dark path, whereas the wanderers want humans and Earth to ascend to the fourth dimension on the path of light. Now, the dark path is about dictatorship, controlling other beings, oppression, suppression, um, not allowing them free will, not allowing them a free voice. The dark side wants to enslave people and is driven by fear. The light wants people to have a voice, to have a say, to have a vote, to be able to speak their will, to be able to express their creativity. Um, and these two forces battle, are battling on Earth, and they're battling even now on Earth, uh, and they have been battling on Earth. And the wanderers are trying to help the forces of light. For example, many wanderers are now involved in Ukraine. Um, they are in trouble spots. They go to trouble spots. During book two, you see them go to some trouble spots, um, they go to Pakistan, they go to India, uh, they go when the power grid of Earth is threatened, um, it, especially the power grid in America when it's threatened. So you see them, you see, how, you see the way they work. And in book three, which I am now writing, um, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm about halfway through, and it's still following their adventures and their attempts to bring consciousness they also play uh, a virtual reality game to help wake people up, and the virtual reality game is called Fifth Dimension, and they work through that game. But usually the episodes of that game have to do with the dark side trying to kill them uh, and capture them, and it does kill one of the main characters in the second book in Wanderers. Um, but no soul can be killed. That character still exists in the fifth dimensional body. So that is basically the story. It's, it's an allegory or mythological telling of what is happening on Earth now. Does, um, Susan, does the 
trilogy um, fit into a particular writing genre? Well, fantasy fiction, I guess, more than science fiction. Okay. <laughs> because the publisher said to me in the beginning, you know, science fiction has to have the possibility of being true. <clears throat> and I don't think this could ever be true. Of course, I said, I think it is all true. But he said, <laughs> well, we're going to call it, we're going to put you in co the cosmic egg arm of John Hunt Publishing instead of the nonfiction, and we're going to call it fantasy fiction. And And that being the case, is there a particular age group? I, I, I know that young adults tend to be attracted to um, all things fantasy fiction. Yeah. No, it was marketed as an adult book, but I think it would be great if young adults read it. And I hope it can break into that market, because the idea is to get this information to everyone on Earth so that they know about this epic battle that we're going through. Just look at what's happening now. A lot of forces of light have come together uh, in the EU, in NATO, and are and allowing all the helping the refugees, helping the animals, and this heroic figure, Zelensky. I mean, he's he's evoking the best in people. He and his wife. It's just an amazing. One example of the battle of light, you know, the battle of free speech against the battle of oppression. And I think, you know, Putin is a tool of the dark side, and Zelensky is a minister of light. I mean, it is just one example of what's happening on Earth now, and it is the story of this trilogy, because we are moving toward the seventh golden age on Earth if light prevails, which I believe it will. Susan, I do believe it will. you said when you started this trilogy that you didn't think of yourself as a writer and that you were sort of called to do this. And, and uh, in, in many ways, the, the books are sort of writing themselves. Um, yes. But do you have the bug now? Is, is writing something you oh, want to continue yes. to pursue beyond the trilogy? I will. I love writing. I love writing, and I love my relationship with the guides from the formless realm, because they never... Well, that isn't true. I, when I was a young psychologist 35 years ago, I, I worked with... You know, Susan, that is probably one of the funniest phrases that I've heard because of the images it evoked in my mind when you said when I was a young psychologist <laughs> I just oh. I, I just I had this picture of of you as a young girl with big horn room glasses and a little briefcase or something yes, I, I don't know I don't, I don't know what it what it was about that phrase but <laughs> but it tickled me and I had to say something well, you're right. I was a young psychologist once when I was about 33, and uh, I was working with a woman who channeled an amazing being called Manka, and he, I said, how can I best help my patients? And he said through her, 
you can't really do anything. You're too young. You're too. I may have a PhD, but you're too inexperienced. Just let us work through you. And I agreed to that. So sometimes when I was sitting with a patient, even in my 30s, suddenly something would drop into my head as if dropped from heaven unasked. Say this or tell them this or ask them to consider this. And I knew the thought did not originate in my own brain. And then when I said it, it was incredibly helpful. That still happens 35 years later. Not every session, not with every patient. But But aside from that in the writing, I have intuitions, which may be coming from guides, but I just... I don't know anything. I don't know the future. I don't know what's going to happen. I can't tell people what what to do. You know, I'm not I'm not an intuitive. I'm not a psychic. So only in the realms of very particular work with patients or writing do I get any information. So, but I love the writing. It's like it gives me a good day. I get up every day. I take the dog. We have a Labrador Retriever. I take him, Obi-Wan Kenobi is his name. I take him to Washington Square Park. It's like, and he's strong. It's like being pulled down Fifth Avenue by a sled dog. So I get my <laughs> exercise. Then I come home, and I sit at the computer, and I write until it runs out. And then I see patients in the afternoon and evening. And it's a great life. I'm so lucky. I have the best life. And the writing makes it better than anything because I feel I'm connected to something greater than myself. I feel I'm making an offering. But one intuitive said to me, well, your books will not make it in your lifetime, but after your death, your books will be all over. It will, it will be a slow process. So, so be it. There's time. Well, Susan, and there is no time. Susan, along those lines, um, writing for most people is a very solitary thing. Um, You have, you're in the, you've just released or or recently released the second of of, uh, three books that will make up the Mission from Venus trilogy. Um, What was the title of of the first book, and did you get much feedback from that? Do you have a chance to interact with people, and do you enjoy those interactions and that and that feedback? What kind of responses have you been getting? Um, the first book was actually called Mission from Venus. Okay. Um, and people either loved it or hated it. Like <laughs> one reviewer, one reviewer in the UK said, I love this book with my whole heart and soul. Other people said, this is bullshit. This, couldn't, this is bullshit. This couldn't be happening. So it runs the gamut. But many people were very, very, uh, very nice about it. Really very nice about it. But that one who said, it was a woman in her 20s, who said, I loved this book with my whole heart and soul. Because the first book is not as easy to get into uh, because it's their training and there's a lot of different te- training techniques for uh, 
and healing techniques. I mean, there's a lot of information in it, whereas the second book is much more story-driven. And you don't need to read the first one to get into the second one. They both stand alone. Susan, uh, have you had an experience where someone has read the book and seen something you didn't see? Uh, I don't think so, but that would be very welcome. That would be very welcome. I, I've just I've talked to writers before who are, are surprised sometimes at at some of what people get out of reading their their books and and how sometimes <laughs> you know they they pick up on things that the writer didn't notice or didn't intend and and you know they, they look back at it and go yeah I can see that <laughs> I hope that that happens when I have a wider readership because I think Mission from Venus has only sold between 500 and 1,000 copies, according to my publisher. So I don't have a lot of, you know, there haven't been a lot of sales. So possibly, you know, over years, uh, even before they accepted the manuscript, the John Hunt, the head of the publishing company, said, this is going to be, this doesn't easily fit into any category, and this will be slow, like some of our eventual bestsellers had like a very steady beat-by-beat progress. So I guess I don't have enough readers yet to know if it sparked other things I hadn't thought of. Because I think I have only like 34 reviews on Amazon. Have, have <laughs> Not you had... everyone reviews. Right. Have you had an opportunity to um, go out to different locations, bookstores and coffee shops and things, and do readings and book signings? Have you had? Well, because of the pandemic, uh, I couldn't do much for wanderers. I was on. Uh, I spoke to George Norrie on Coast to Coast, and then he invited me on his TV show. So I went out to Colorado. Um, and I met a bunch of people there, which was very nice. But the pandemic, other than that, I, I did two readings in bookstores in New York just before the pandemic, but everything got canceled when the pandemic came because I live in New York City, and at the, it was sort of the epicenter for a time in the beginning, so everything was shut down. So I didn't really do any any more readings or any publicity at all because everybody was so concerned with staying alive in the beginning we all thought we're all going to die well in new york city we thought hey we're all dead but then we didn't all die which was good (laughs) is there um is is there a connection is there a thread that runs between your your writing and the information you share there and the kind of uh, communication that you have with your clients? For some clients, there is. Um, But I'm, I'm a Jungian psychologist, so that means to me that I focus on people's unconscious life, mainly on their dreams. My favorite, favorite thing as a psychologist is dream interpretation. So... That brings me into the mythological world, the world of fairy tales, um, 
and that is the closest thing. And most people are open to working with their dreams once they train themselves to remember them. So in that sense, and, you know, we can dream of our simultaneous other lives in other galaxies, which I have done, and dreams just open the door to a huge inner world. As vast as the starry heavens are outside of us, that's how vast the inner world is inside of us. So when I work with patients who are interested in their inner life and in their dreams, it gets very close to the mythological worlds of of my books. Um, But some patients just come because they want to fix one thing. They want a Band-Aid. They don't care about their dreams, and that's okay, too. Um, They just want to know, how, how do I deal with my boss who's abusive to me? Or, you know, should I break up with this guy who who I'm crazy about, but he won't commit to me? You know, they have a problem they want to work on, and if they want to go deeper, then we can get into the their complexes, the mythology, their dream world, their inner world, and that gets close to light and dark and what's going on on the planet. But it depends on the client is the answer to your question. I'll go anywhere they want to go. They just want to stay right here and now. That's fine. Well, Susan, we're almost out of time. I can't believe how fast the time has gone. Um, I always ask guests um, to share with listeners where they can find out more about you, the books, your work, past, present, and future. Uh, Do you have a website you'd like to share? Oh, thank you. I do. Susan Plunkett. Dot com, And Plunkett has one T, P-L-U-N-K-E-T dot com. SusanPlunkett.com. Everything is on there. Well, Susan, thanks so much for spending this time with me and the listeners and uh, sharing uh, about this uh, about this book and, and sort of teasing us that there will be more to come from Susan Plunkett. Thank you, Tom. I love talking to you. You're so lovely to speak with. (laughs) Have a beautiful day, and thank you so much for this opportunity to talk to you and your listeners. All right, Susan. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye. Again, uh, New York State licensed clinical psychologist uh, Susan Plunkett. She um, got her Ph.D. from the New School for Social Research in 1989. She's been practicing for more than 30 years. She's been uh, in private practice working with individuals, couples, and families. Her clinical training was at Bellevue uh, Hospital, New York Hospital, and the Postgraduate Center for Mental Health. And uh, she is the author of uh, a trilogy called Mission from Venus Trilogy, and uh, book two is out, The Wanderers on Earth. The third book is uh, on the way. If you're listening to us on uh, WFOV 92.1 LPFM Flint, our Voices Radio is a uh, broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. There's lots more of the Tom Sumner Program uh, straight ahead. So stay with us.
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque riverway. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila, tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not, is a major factor in dancing like a retard, may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them, also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people, and it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! 
from the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Where are we going, Dr. Zarkov? Aaron and I discovered a room under the hall of atomic power, which stored scientific apparatus. With the help of slaves, we constructed my newest invention, didn't we, Baron? Yes, we did, friend Zarkov. I only hope this bull-headed monarch hasn't delayed us too long with his arguing. There isn't much time left to save the city. We are tipping over. How much further do we have to descend? We will be below the foundation in just a moment. What is this remarkable discovery, Wizard of the Earth? You shall see. You shall see. We are here. Hurry out, everyone. Hold fast to my hand, Dale. Oh, Flash, do you think Dr. Zarkov will be able to save us? I know he will do his best. There is my invention. What is that massive tubes and wires? This electrical machine is an atomic light solidifier. It'll strengthen the beam? Yes. Keep everybody back, Baron. I must have room to work. Stand back, everybody. Baron, do you think this machine will work? Be quiet. Professor Zarkov is throwing the switch. What is that weird bluish light? New rays made from the Adamsdale. Why, the city seems to be getting back on an even keel. By power, so it is. How is it working, friend Zarkov? Splendid so far. The light beams supporting the city are becoming stronger and stronger. Then the city is saved? The city is saved. By Pau, he has done it. All of you are free. Why, Dale, you're crying. I'm so happy we're saved. Zarkov, come here. He said he could do it, and he did. Yes, King Voltan, you summoned me? Zarkov, you shall be my head scientist. Voltan, this is more than I expect. I am grateful, deeply grateful, and appreciate the honor. Flash and Dale. Yes, impressive majesty. What is it, King Voltan? As proof of our future friendship, I shall give you a royal wedding tomorrow, and tonight we shall have a banquet to celebrate it. Are you having a good time, Dale? A wonderful time, Flash. It hardly seems possible that we shall be married tomorrow. I don't dare believe it until we are actually being married. Now, you mustn't feel that way, Dale. It's just nerve. Well, my friends, tomorrow will be the big day. I'm not so sure. Dale is just worrying about nothing, Baron. Hmm, it's almost tomorrow, Dale. What can happen now? During the excitement of the certain destruction of the city, the Princess Aura disappeared. Oh, is that all that worries you? I should think you would be glad she is not here. I am. Well, well, lovebirds, are you enjoying yourselves? Oh, yes, thank you, impressive majesty. Majesty? Majesty? Yes, what is it? The airship of Ming the Merciless is approaching the city. This means trouble. What did I tell you? There will be no wedding for us tomorrow. We will die fighting. No, Voltan, let us take our chances on escaping. Give us a rocket ship. It's no use, Flash. They were damaged when the city tilted. His Universal Majesty, Emperor of Mongo, Ming the Merciless. And Princess Aura. Now there will be trouble. Steady, Dale, darling. 
there will be a way out of this. Greetings and welcome, Emperor Ming. So, Voltan, you have become friends with the prisoners. Turn over this Earthman to my torturers, and to me delivered my promised bride, Dale Arden. I command it. No, Father. You promised Flash Gordon to me as my share of the spoils. Hold, Ming. By the ancient laws of Mongo, by the sacred laws of the great Pau, who is all wise, I call for a tournament of death. A tournament? And this fellow Flash Gordon would enter? Yes. A tournament. Then all the planet would see him fail and die. So be it. Between four mountains nestled a massive bowl-shaped arena toward which most of Mongo pulls the never-ending streams to the tournament of death in which all of the contestants but one will meet death. And Flash Gordon is going to enter. He and Dale occupy seats of honor in Volton's box. Princess Aura enters the arena on a golden throne carried by six blue dragon men. Here comes Aura in all her glory. She is vile, treacherous, and cruel. Ha <laughs> That, my boy, is a beauty. Oh, I don't know about that. Here comes Drewbridge, king of the lion men. The dragon men are frightened by the lions. They've dropped the princess. Ah, stay where you are, my boy. Prince Baron is already picking her up. She seems to be smiling at him. I wonder what she's saying. Prince Baron, you've saved my life. Why did you do it after the way I treated you? Because, my princess, you are a woman, a beautiful woman, and I can no longer deny the fact that I love you. But whatever it is she's saying, I wish she would get interested in somebody else and leave you alone, Flash. The tournament is about to begin, Flash. There is your horse. Here, take this sword, my boy. It's the one with which I became King of the Hawkmen. Take it and justify my faith in you. And my faith, too. Thanks, darling. And thank you, Volton. I will do my best. In another box, Prince Baron reaches a decision. Zarkov, I am going to enter the tournament and win back my kingdom and Ming's daughter, Princess Aura, for my bride. Do not be a fool, Prince Baron. Why do you risk being killed? Wish me luck, my friend. I go to do battle. It is a battle royale with every horseman for himself. As the battle rages around him, Flash is beset by two yellow guardsmen. He vanquishes one, and as he is attacked by the other, he falls from his horse. Before the yellow man can drive home in death and lust, a masked rider saves Flash, and the first great test of the tournament of death ends. A banquet is held for the survivors. Are you sure you're all right, Flash? Why, of course, Dale. If it hadn't been for that masked fighter, you would be dead now. Oh, why did you enter this horrible tournament? To win freedom, a kingdom, and what's more important, you. Look, the masked fighter is with Princess Aura. Ah, the masked champion. Are you a criminal fearing arrest, or a noble fearing recognition? Blue blood or red, my lady, it will flow in the arena just as freely for your amusement. Here, wear this scarf as a token, but do not stain it with your blood. Fair lady, a kiss from your gorgeous lips 
and I would face the legions of Pau. Insolent one! Ha 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 I would have you tortured. You cannot punish the living dead of the tournament. Goodbye, you beautiful devil. I go to fight for your hand. That masked champion, I swear I know his voice. The call has sounded. I must go back to the fight. Goodbye, Dale. Goodbye, and good luck, my darling. Oh, King Voltan, when will this awful tournament end? I know it seems horrible to you, little bird, but it is better that Flash should die honorably in the field of battle than at the hands of Ming's torturers. If he wins this final event, he will be a king, and you will be his queen. The trumpets blow and the last contestants line up. Two by two, they mount the sky rope stretched over a flaming pool to joust with swords, and one after another, they are eliminated by death. Finally, only Flash Gordon and the masked champion are left. Flash loses his balance and falls down toward the flaming pool, but his hand catches hold of the rope and he hangs on. The masked champion, thrown off balance, all but falls, but saves himself by grasping Flash Gordon's legs. His mask falls off, revealing Prince Baron. The crowd demands that both men shall live, and they are brought before Vulton and Ming the Merciless. None of your trickery, Ming. You will proclaim them both kings. So be it. But I shall choose their kingdoms to Prince Baron and my daughter, Aura, I give the kingdom of the forest to Flash Gordon and the Earth Girl. I give the kingdom of the caves. You fiend! You know neither kingdom has been conquered. True, Voltan. But these are brave men. Let them try. They can hold their weddings in their own kingdoms. If they live that long. This concludes our recreation of the first four episodes of the 1935 radio serial Flash Gordon. This series was recorded in the Tom Sumner Program studio featuring the voice of Sean Cantwell as Flash Gordon and Volton. Rhonda Groves Young played Dale Arden and Princess Aura. Randy Zimmerman played Zarkoff and Thun. Prince Baron was played by Dane Walling. Listen for more adaptations of old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Tom Sumner saying thanks for listening. Yeah.
Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. 